0: Thank you for listening to the Lucy Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about us or to find other sermons and resources from us, visit our website at lucybaptist.com. 1 Peter 2, 9-17 But as you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of God. Thank you.
1: Well, today I'll be bringing a message from this text. The title of the message is Politics from a Biblical Worldview. We've been in a series of messages Um, dealing with contemporary issues from a biblical worldview and I hope you have been helped and encouraged uh, by these matters. The Word of God we know is not only inerrant but it is sufficient. It speaks to every uh, matter of life and we want to see everything from a biblical worldview. So this morning we're going to be examining this passage of scripture uh, together today and seeking to apply it to our lives as citizens as dual citizens, both of God's kingdom as, uh, as well as citizens of, of this nation. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Our Father, we have been blessed this morning to worship in your presence. It's a joy to worship you together with the people of God. I thank you that our worship here is, as someone has described, is on the job training for reigning that one day we'll worship together with you, with all of the saints of God, uh, those who've been saved in the past, and, and Lord, those uh, who have uh, who gather together as we worship around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for this privilege today, and we continue in a spirit of worship as we've opened the Word of God together. I thank you again for your Word, and we thank you for inspiring it by the Spirit of God And Lord, we thank you that now we also have with us as your children and and corporately together as your body, we have the Holy Spirit. So we pray the teacher, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling teacher would speak to us, would illumine, bring light to our understanding of the Word of God today and teach us the truths of this passage and enable us to apply them to our lives so that we can live out as salt and light, that we can be your church that you've intended us to be in this, uh, this perverse generation, this world in which we live, that so desperately needs Christ. And you've put us here to be your church and to make a difference. So give us understanding, and Lord, change our hearts and lives that, that we might more fully conform to the image of Christ in obedience to uh, the Word of God. We, we pray especially those, for those, once again, Lord, who do not have a relationship with Christ, who are in our midst today that you would enable them to understand the gospel. Uh, That's the only way they can understand the gospel is by the work of your spirit that you would draw them to yourself in repentance and faith. Be glorified in their salvation uh, as we glorify you together in Jesus' precious name and for his glory we pray, amen. When we planned this series of messages, and especially this specific, ending our series with this message, um, we, have, we had no idea, we could never have imagined that it would come uh, after such an eventful week uh, in our nation in regard to politics. Uh, our president was acquitted by the U.S. Senate of the Articles in, of Impeachment brought forth by the House of Representatives. Uh, President Trump delivered the State of the Union Address to a very divided Congress. Uh, the Democratic Party uh, held its first caucus in Iowa, and the results were a dead heat between Sen- Senator Bernie Sanders, a Democratic Socialist, and Pete Buttigieg, a former mayor who is in a same-sex marriage. Uh, a very eventful week, to say the least. Well, politics has, has uh, uh, for a long time, Uh, Been one of the most controversial issues in the church that the church faces. Uh, We ask the question: Should we take the approach, as Chip Ingram calls it, the the approach of being separatist, which we basically uh, take the approach that we uh, avoid all political issues, uh, and uh, in the church, or should we go to maybe the other extreme, uh, and what he calls activist? where, again, we see uh, one of the church's primary purposes to be uh, that of influencing of moral and cultural change and, and utilize the political system to that purpose and that, in that process. Well, I believe the biblical worldview, as we see it even in this passage and others, give us the answer to those questions and help us to find how we should look at politics from a biblical worldview. view. And uh, Jesus said in John 18, 36 to to Pilate as he was approaching the cross, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Augustine said that believers are citizens of the city of God. But he also went on to say, but on earth we belong to the city of man. And therefore as believers we are to be uh, as dual citizens, good citizens of both Cities. To illustrate this further, Jonathan Lehman, uh, who wrote a book called uh, uh, How the Nations Rage, he says that the church is compared to an embassy. If you've ever been to another country and you know about embassies, you know that you will find the embassy and there, uh, in the embassy, and when you even walk onto the property, you're considered to be uh, on the property of your own nation. It's, it's as if though there is a country within a country, and he said that is exactly what we are to be as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's nation within another nation. First Peter, as we have read this text today and looking in this text, just to remind you, was, First Peter was written to believers who were in Asia Minor, that is now modern-day Turkey, and they were uh, facing tremendous persecution. And Peter wrote to them in this epistle to give them encouragement, to give them hope, in the midst of this tremendous persecution under uh, a very wicked Roman Empire, under a very wicked uh, uh, leader, emperor named Nero. And so he's giving them, in I believe in this passage, giving to them and, uh, and to us, of course, practical instruction on how, as the embassy of heaven, and that's what, we, again, we believe the church is, the embassy of heaven and kingdom citizens in, in the midst of a pagan nation how we can live out as that as that embassy of heaven and as kingdom citizens in the midst of a pagan nation so look with me if you will at five ways this can be possible and how we can uh, be what we're called to be in this world notice first of all live out your identity as the embassy of heaven as kingdom citizens of God's kingdom Live out your identity. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this. This is a pretty lengthy passage, but verses 9 through 11. uh, Notice he begins verse 9 with but, which, of course, uh, is an indication of a contrast. He's just described here in earlier verses, beginning there in verse 7, the unbelievers who reject Christ and who stumble through their disobedience. So he's contrasting that with what believers are, what God says we are. And so he gives a list of descriptive identifying terms. And some of these, by the way, were used uh, of Old Testament saints. So God is taking these things that were true of of his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and saying they are now applied to his church. They're applied to us. So as we look at these just very briefly today, I encourage you to do more study because This is who the Bible says you are. This is who the Bible says we are as his church, as the people of God. Notice he refers to us as a chosen race. Your Bible translation may say a chosen generation. We are the elect of God. We are those who are chosen by God. Again, race, the word race means a a body, literally means a body with a common life. Now, what common life would that be? Of course, Jesus. The Bible says he is our life, and he is who brings us together as the body of Christ, chosen race, a royal priesthood, literally meaning kingly priest. The priests of the Old Testament were priests, uh, but he gives even a a greater description of us as his church as kingly priests. We intercede, uh, of course, On behalf of others, we represent him. We're able to enter into, imagine this, able to enter into the very throne room of God. That is possible because of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not only a privilege, it is also a great responsibility. He calls us a holy nation. Holy nation. This means a people, again, of the same nature, literally, who are set apart for service to God. Once again, the church is a holy nation. We're a nation within a nation. He says we are a people for his own possession. If you have the King James Version, I think it refers to us as a peculiar people. And that does describe a lot of God's people, doesn't it? But he doesn't mean weird. Uh, He means we are, again, we are set apart for him. We belong to him. We are purchased with his precious blood. And then we drop down to verse 11. Notice again some other identifying terms that God says is true about who we are. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, that, that in itself is a, uh, a description of who we are. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He calls us again sojourners and exiles. This is really, uh, these are synonyms of the same idea. It literally means, the word literally means to settle down alongside of pagans. We are resident aliens who have our citizenship in another country. We have an old psalm that says, This world is not my home. And that's exactly right. As believers, we are passing through. This is uh, not really our home. And, uh, and again, the Bible says, therefore, that we are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, from, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, this is important for us in order to be Uh, To make a difference where we are as citizens of this earth, of this world, of this nation, and this local community, we can make the most impact when we are being who we are as kingdom citizens, when we're living out our true identity. And you know, a wonderful study in the Word of God is just seeing what God says about who we really are, reading about our identity. And again, that's the greatest way we can have. An impact by by living our identity, we're able to give uh, to give, serve the Lord uh, and our nation, even when our unbelieving fellow citizens try to silence us, and try as Matthew five Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount when they try to just get us to assimilate, and, when, and in our flesh when we just kind of lose, lose our saltiness, or we uh, are uh, intimidated by putting again that that. Light under a bushel, that's exactly what the world wants us to do. It's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. But God's called us to be who we are, to be salty saints, and to to let our light shine in order that others can see Christ in us and see the difference that Jesus makes. Again, the first thing we can do to impact our community, to be, uh, again, the the embassy of heaven. and Embassy is local churches of heaven, and also to be kingdom citizens is by living out our true identity. You see brothers and sisters our true identity as believers is not being a republican, is not being a democrat, a libertarian or an independent. Our primary identity is not even being an american. You know, we, we, uh, we know the Scripture teaches our true identity is who we are in Christ. We're grateful to be in this, citizens of this nation, amen? We're grateful uh, for the sacrifices many of you and your families have made in serving our nation. We're blessed to be in a, in a church in a, in a military uh, town and where many of you have served our nation, and, and uh, we are grateful for that. But our primary identity is who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You know, we don't know how long there will be a United States of America. We're not guaranteed that the United States of America is going to last forever. But I know one thing. I know that the Bible makes it very clear, and we believe the Word of God, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his church is going to prevail. It will live forever. So church, be the church. Live out your true identity, and that's the greatest way to begin with. You can make an impact upon our nation. But secondly, the second thing I believe this passage calls us to do is to proclaim God's excellent attributes. Notice the second part there of verse uh, number 9. He tells us about all these identifying terms that tell who we are, And he says the the reason for these, notice there in verse 9, are that in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he tells us uh, the reason we are who we are is for this purpose, that we might proclaim, as as we called it there, God's excellent attributes. He's put us here uh, to proclaim his, uh, you may have the translation praises, or or again, this word excellent attributes. So what do we do? We proclaim to everyone how Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what are we doing? We are proclaiming the gospel. That's exactly what we're doing as we proclaim His excellent attributes. Think about all the excellent, beautiful, praiseworthy attributes that are a part of the gospel message that we proclaim. Think about it for a moment. Again, we, we uh, describe how uh, God, in his great love, his magnificent love, John 3:16, sent the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God the creator of the universe, now becoming fully human. He humbled himself. Another of God's great, excellent attributes is that he humbled himself in becoming a man. And not only that, but he went to the cross. And there he, and and God poured out his holy wrath against all sin on the Lord Jesus Christ as he took our sin upon himself there. He was... Buried, And he rose again by the great power of God, the resurrection power of God. And he's alive forevermore, now interceding at the right hand of the Father on behalf of us. And again, by his great grace, the beautiful, excellent attribute of grace, he reached down to us and, as we see, called us out of darkness where we were, headed for hell and and deserving of it for all eternity but God in his great mercy and grace called us to himself brought us to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ what an awesome beautiful attribute of God's beautiful grace that he would save us in this way and we have the joy of sharing that wonderful message to others again in our testimony, every one of us are right here. If you're a child of God, this is your testimony. In verse 10, you once were, were not God's people, but now you are God's people. Imagine that. You were not God's child, but now you are if you're his child. And once again, uh, you had not received mercy. You were lost and headed for hell, but now you have received mercy. What a beautiful way to describe the excellent attributes of God and who he is is you see second corinthians five twenty says therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his special his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god and the great commission matthew 28 18 jesus said all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations all people groups And so we as the church have been given the authority to go into all the world and proclaim this wonderful message. That's the authority that Jesus has given to us as his church. You see, the government doesn't have that authority. We'll see in a few moments uh, that, that the government has by God been given authority, but the government hasn't been given the authority to do that. Only the church has that authority. Anybody questions why we're doing what we're doing and why we are speaking even if we're told we can't do that or we are not allowed to do that? If the law is passed, it says we can't? Well, I'm sorry, but we answer to a higher authority. The king of the universe has told us to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the authority that Jesus has given to his church. Jonathan Lehman says, the church's most powerful political word is the gospel and the church's most powerful political testimony is being the church so church what a joy what a privilege what a great authority as his ambassadors in this embassy where we operate out of to go and to tell this world the beautiful message the excellent attributes of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the way if you're here and you haven't responded to that gospel message through repentance and faith, then we, just like Paul said here in in 2 Corinthians 5, under the inspiration of the Spirit, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in Jesus and Him alone to save you. We invite you to hear His message so that you can be, uh, your testimony can be here, that once you were in darkness, but now you can be in light for all eternity. That's the message that we proclaim. But thirdly, again, to be these kingdom citizens as a part of the embassy of, of, of God here on this earth we, and to make an impact for him, we must walk in holiness. Again, the second part of verse 11, he describes the way we are to walk. He says, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against God your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in being who we are, uh, and again proclaiming that wonderful gospel message, we must do nothing to hinder the gospel. That's why we must guard our testimony. That's why we must abstain from these fleshly practices. The word abstain means to walk away from. We we must, again, not think of our own selves selfishly, but we must recognize we we are ambassadors for the king, and we are representing the king of kings and lord of lords, and we must have a walk, a holiness that backs up this gospel message that we proclaim. The word war, as he describes here, the war that war against our flesh is a military campaign. We are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that wants to defeat our testimony. Again, that wants us to to become like the world and to conform us to the image of the world. And so we must continuously battle against it. We must win this battle against our sinful desires. In verse 12, he says that our conduct must be honorable. That word uh, can also be translated attractive or winsome. Again, that's not to substitute for the, the proclamation of the gospel, but it again affirms it. it. That's our walk. That's who we are in this world. We must stay faithful even when we're persecuted as these saints were. He says, and, uh, so that again on that day of visitation, he says, that, that those that while they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God. Uh, There are those who believe this word, the day of visitation, though it's difficult exactly to understand, different interpretations. Many believe that he's describing here the day of salvation for those individuals when the Holy Spirit visits them and brings them to an understanding of the gospel and repentance and faith. And therefore, they will be able on that day to glorify God And they'll be grateful for the faithful testimony of those who have not only proclaimed the gospel to them, but have given evidence of the difference that Jesus has made in their life, that they've been salt and light and lived a life of holiness before them. He said they'll put to silence uh, the ignorance of foolish people when we do good. Verse 15, look at that verse once again. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We know, of course, foolish people are those who say there is no God. That's not a, 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 that, that's not a term to put people down. It's just telling what the Bible says. Those who, don't, who deny God are called foolish. And, uh, but he says, again, uh, these unbelievers who are persecuting you, he's saying that to them and, and to us, that while we, uh, we will not be faultless before them, the Bible says our behavior, the walk in which we live, is to be blameless. That means there's no glaring inconsistency in our lives. Could that be said of you today? That there's no glaring inconsistency that, again, would hinder the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ through his church. Jesus said again in Matthew five sixteen, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Walk in holiness. If we're going to have an impact on this world politically to the glory of God, we must walk in holiness. And he describes doing good there as God's people. That not only means uh, avoiding certain things, but it means being who we are involved in this world. God doesn't want us to be isolationists. He intends that we permeate this dark world, that we permeate this saltless world and be the salt and light that he's called us to be. Perhaps you've read the story of William Wilberforce. He was a committed Christian who was a member of the British Parliament and he was the primary leader who helped abolish slave trade in England. He stood firmly and God used him Back in, in our own nation, in the, uh, in the U.S., two-thirds of the abolitionists um, uh, were Christian pastors. So again, doing good will certainly lead us to stand for righteousness and to stand against unrighteousness. It cost John the Baptist his head, didn't it, when he stood against uh, Herod's wickedness? And uh, so it, it will call us to stand firmly. Um, But again, it will uh, cause to stand for those who can't stand for themselves, such as the unborn, or the abused, or the poor, or immigrants. Uh, But always with the centrality of the gospel, always using every opportunity. As, As you read about the Apostle Paul, every situation was an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And that's exactly what we do. We're not doing this just for social justice. We're doing this for the gospel's sake as we make Christ known in whatever situation, wherever we are, to the glory of God. Walk in holiness. But number four, again, as kingdom citizens, as embassies of heaven, we must submit to governing authorities. Submit to governing authorities. We see that in verses 13 and 14, where he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This word submit literally means to put yourself in the attitude of submission. Why do we do that? The Bible says, for the Lord's sake. Once again, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. And an important part of our testimony is as God's people here and citizens of this nation, but also citizens of his kingdom, is being law-abiding citizens so that he can be glorified. And our submission to local, state, and national laws as citizens is an important part of our testimony as his ambassadors. It's important to our testimony to unbelievers. The only exception, of course, is if we are put in a situation where man's law, conflicts with God's law, then as Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. We, put, we know our responsibility and our loyalty to his kingdom uh, is superior to that of this earth. And so again, that's, we recognize that. But notice he begins to describe who that includes. He says every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, And to praise those who do good. And again, I remind you that when he referred to the emperor, he was talking about referring to Nero. Nero, who was the wicked emperor of the Roman Empire, who was the one who brought the greatest uh, increase of persecution, the very persecution these believers were undergoing. Nero, who uh, many believe set uh, Rome on fire so he could build a new one and then blamed it on the Christians, and had them uh, you know, encased in wax and set on fire to light the city, uh, great, gr- brought great persecution. This is the emperor that they were, again, to submit to and show honor to, as we're going to see uh, a little bit later. And these governors, of course, being the more local leaders who were sent by the emperor to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Those are a couple of the functions, primary functions of government, to... Uh, to uh, to, again, to punish those who do evil. Aren't we grateful today? I hope you are grateful for our government who provides protection uh, through and punishment to evildoers, and, uh, and, again, even to praise those who do good. Another important uh, part of government. Government is set up by God. Again, I encourage you to read Romans 13, 1 to 7, but verse 1 of that chapter says, "'Let every person be subject to the governing authorities,' For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God has set up government. We said earlier the church has authority for the gospel uh, and fulfilling our ministry as the church, so the church needs to be the church but we need to let the government be the government have the authority and of course we know we happen we're blessed to live in a government where the government is of the people so we have a part in that responsibility as well but but the government has this authority given by god whether again whether that gov- government is a christian or whether they are muslim or whether they are atheist they are still instituted by god and we are commanded to honor them again remember who their leader was remember what they were going through under a very oppressive and wicked government as many of our brothers and sisters are around the world something that we in America we've been blessed thus far in our history to often have influence of Christianity to know that our nation was established on biblical principles by people who even those who may not have fully affirmed everything they they understood the role of, of the, the, the t- scripture in regard to the setting up of our government. And we have, it's been a very difficult time for believers in more recent years when we see that eroding in our country. But we stick to what God says about how we are to respond to those who are in authority over us. There's some wonderful ev- examples in the Old Testament. For example, Daniel and the other. A number of other Hebrews, including those friends that are mentioned there in the book of Daniel, were taken from their homes in Judah to uh, Babylon. Uh, The Nebuchadnezzar was the again the wicked king, and uh, who again destroyed, uh, took the temple furnishings, stole them, if you will, and uh, destroyed the temple and the walls of the city. No doubt many other things in in the way of destruction and brought them there to Babylon, hundreds of miles away from their home. And yet when you read about Daniel and his friends, even when they were put in a situation where they were asked to do or told to do something that was contrary to their biblical convictions, they very respectfully appealed to uh, those in leadership over them, and God honored them for that. They, they didn't compromise, they didn't disobey God's word, but they also continue to have a spirit of respect and honor to King Nebuchadnezzar and later King Darius when they were, they were under the Persian Empire, they did the same thing. And so God um, honored that and God blessed that. And we're called to do the same thing today regardless of who our leaders are because we believe Scripture teaches us that God has placed the, that government there. You see, again, we, it could be, uh, we, we typically think, well, we want them for our good. And, and you see, they could be there for the judgment against our nation. We need to recognize that God rules and overrules and is sovereign over government. But then fifth and finally, I want you to see in this passage in verses 16 and 17, as we think once again about, or we conclude this passage and this message, thinking about our responsibility as kingdom citizens as the church embassies of heaven notice we should in verses 16 and 7 serve everyone in love verse 16 gives us a, a, a wonderful uh, principle of, about freedom it says live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of god and in verse 17 a, a summation of the entire passage, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. When Jesus saved us, he freed us. The Bible says, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He saved us from the law's condemnation. Think about what he saved us from. The law's condemnation, from eternal torment in hell. He saved us from slavery to sin and to Satan. He saved us from and, and, and freed us from the world's control of our lives. And he saved us and delivered us, freed us from the fear of man. And so we are to live like we are free from all these things. Again, don't continue to stay under bondage when you've been set free. But on the other hand, he said, don't use this freedom as a, a license, in essence, to sin. We are now free to be, as he describes us here, servants of God, literally bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're set free so that we can serve others, serve everyone. So in verse 17, he summarizes how we as kingdom citizens are to live in relationship to everyone. Look at those just quickly with me. First of all, he says, honor all people. Again, free everyone, with respect. But why? Because we are all created in God's image. Every person is created in God's image and has the image of God upon them. And so again, even people who act like animals, and there are plenty who do, they're still not animals. <laughs> they're still created in God's image, and we need to treat them that way. And, and then, and that would be true, that we show everyone respect, even those who have a different political or theological or even moral worldview, we're still to treat them uh, with respect. Uh, don't have to agree with them. Don't compromise our position, but treat them respectfully. Secondly, love the brotherhood. Our, our, uh, our, again, our love for one another is God's primary instrument of showing the world what it is to be a Christ follower. Jesus said that when he commanded us to love one another in John 13, 34. And then verse 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What what a great opportunity we have to demonstrate to the world the difference that Jesus makes by the way we love one another. And then the next is... Again, fear God. Fear God. Dr. Rogers said this is love on its knees. It's not being afraid of God, but again, it's honoring God. It's, it's uh, loving Him. It's, it's being in awe and of reverence in Him in, with everything we do, not wanting to do anything and seeking to do nothing that would displease Him. That's what it is, to fear God. And we need that. <clears throat> we must have that as the people of God if we're going to impact the world around us. And then finally, honor the emperor. Back to what we have already said, that we're to treat those who are in political leadership as someone who has been put there ultimately by God because they have been. Daniel two twenty one b says, he removes kings and sets up kings. God is sovereign and we need to honor those in those places of leadership. And again, read Romans 13:1 to 7, as you think about how we are to respond. God, God's put us here once again to be embassies of heaven as a local church and again individually as kingdom citizens to impact the darkness of this world around us with the glorious gospel of Christ. How are you doing, member of the body of Christ? How are you doing, kingdom citizen, at living out your citizenship from heaven to the glory of God? Well, I want to share with you some practical ways that we, I believe, can and should make a difference. I'm sure this list could be longer and a lot more could be said about this, but let me just share with you some practical ways we can make a difference. First of all, remember that your primary role, your identity, is being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Be who you are. Live up to your identity wherever you go and whatever you do. Second, seek to serve Christ and advance the gospel through the local church. That's why we're here as a church. And that is, the, again, a great uh, privilege that we have uh, to serve, uh, serve Christ by advancing the gospel. Again, I remind you of, of Jonathan Lehman's statement, the, most, the church's most powerful political word is the gospel. Number three, pray for all who are governing Authorities. And I remind you again of, uh, and in fact, I'd like to read that, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that tells us how we're to pray. He said, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet uh, life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, it comes back to we pray for these in leadership ultimately so that the gospel can be advanced. That's what verse 4 is describing there. And that is why we want this nation to continue to remain free so that the gospel can be proclaimed here and that we can help send the gospel to the ends of the earth. So pray for those in leadership. Pray for the salvation of, of our leadership. Uh, we continuously see, do we not, a lot of evidence that there's a lot of lostness among political leaders in our nation. And, uh, but you know what? Praise God. There are folks who are there who are saved. So pray for those who know Jesus, will share Jesus with those who don't know him, and will be salt and light where they are, because I'm grateful that there are those who are So pray, again, for, uh, with our president and all throughout leadership of our nation, our state, as well as our county and local government. Pray for their salvation. Pray for those who are believers to be strong in the Lord and st- stand firmly for Him. Pray for their families to come to faith in Christ as well. Number four, put your hope in Christ, not in political leaders or government. You know, I, I don't remember how old exactly I was when this came to, when I came to recognize that the hope of our nation was not in, in who was going to be in the White House, okay? You know, I remember my first election for a president was, was Governor Jimmy Carter, who went, became the governor and said he was born again. And I said, yeah, that's who we need to vote for. That'll help us. And uh, then, you know, the next one was Ronald Reagan. Wow, here's a man who really stands firm, stands for life. Folks, we still have a lot of sin, we still have a lot of problems, and I'm not a cynic, but I've come to recognize our hope is not in the White House. Would you agree? But we as God's people can pray, and we, again, uh, can recognize that our, our hope is, is in Christ, not in our government. Number five, treat those who disagree with you with respect and Love. You know, one of the events that took place this week, also that I didn't mention, was the National Prayer Breakfast. You may have read a little bit about that or seen it on the news, and uh, a professor from Harvard spoke, uh, who, Professor Arthur Brooks, and he challenged them that day from Jesus' words about loving your enemies, and he challenged them to love one another and to overcome their differences, and to love even their political enemies. Uh, He got some pushback on it, but he was right, wasn't he? Uh, And that's exactly what God's called us to do. And you know, one of the greatest areas that even Christians can get caught up in today uh, that the enemy loves, and that is in social media. Don't get caught up in the social media battles, in battling it out for your political candidate or your political conviction realize again that the gospel supersedes all that and yes stand firm I'm not asking you to compromise stand firm but again realize that that is not your primary role to represent a political candidate or a political view your primary role is to represent the gospel so be very careful in how you respond to people and treat others with respect there are there are people who know and love Jesus who may have a different position than you do we need to recognize that Uh, even as God's people, but those who are not believers need to see the difference that Jesus has made in our lives as we respond to them primarily as a disciple and an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number six, vote for candidates which most closely follow a biblical worldview. And I put very, I want to emphasize that word most closely follow, okay? sometimes we feel like we have to go into the voting booth and, you know, just kind of hold our nose or something, right? We feel at times it's difficult. Uh, But listen, folks, uh, Edwin and I had the opportunity to go to, to Nigeria, and in a conversation with a pastor, I said, what's it like living in a country, primarily a Muslim country, you get the opportunity to vote, what's it like? You don't have the opportunity to vote for a Christian. He said, we have to vote for the best Muslim. We just have to vote for the best Muslim. And folks, we, we have to recognize as believers we're here and we have to do the best we can to find those who most closely vote, uh, who most closely stand for, the, for a Christian. And we may be in a situation one day when we know by voting for that person we're voting for the losing candidate. But it's the person that will most closely align themselves with, with the biblical convictions that we have. And listen, don't, don't ignore this privilege you have of voting. Don't get discouraged and say, well, then I can't vote for anybody. No, don't do that. We have people in this room today who, who put their life on the line for you so that you would have the freedom to do this. We have people who have given their lives so that we as Americans, American Christian citizens, can, can voice our, our, our convictions through the, the voting booth. What a privilege we have. Don't neglect that freedom. There are many today who would love to have the opportunity and the privileges that we have as Americans. So stand firmly upon that. And number seven, and finally, prayerfully consider your participation in government. Once again, in Matthew 5, you think about uh, the salt and light that God has called us to be, and we need to be that. God doesn't want us to be isolationists. He wants us to penetrate this world with the gospel and with salt and with light and make a difference. That means, again, being involved, being informed, and we can all do a better job about that. One of the ways I try to do that is by listening to, uh, to the briefing by Albert Muller every day so I can hear uh, what's going on in the world and get a biblical perspective, biblical worldview on how to respond, but be informed and then be involved. And write your, your uh, legislators and let them know we've got pro-life Uh, bills going on in our own state. We need to be involved in standing and making our voice heard and supporting those who are standing firm on biblical convictions and principles that we stand for. And so we need to be involved. That may mean for some of you even running for office or being involved in some way in, in that regard. But be involved. Follow the leadership of the Lord. So prayerfully consider your participation in our government. Well, I want to conclude, uh, Jonathan Lehman concludes in, in his book with, with these words, he says, if there is hope for the nation, it's through the witness and work of our churches. Our congregations have the opportunity to live transformed lives as a transformed culture through transformed politics in their own fellowships right now, all for God's glory and our neighbor's good and we will become such heavenly outposts when we focus first not on the public square but on preaching the word and making disciples the resonant effects in our families in our communities in our in our world will follow lucy baptist church be the church let's join our hearts together in prayer
0: found this message helpful, check us out at lucybaptist.com where you can find other resources or learn more about our church. We hope and pray that this message has helped you grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with Him.